0: Welcome to Prime Alpha's interview series insights from industry practitioners discussing their journey and their discoveries. Hello, my name is Amanda Jogia, the CEO of Prime Alpha, an online ecosystem bringing together alternative opportunities and their investors. I would like to introduce Jonas Martinson, the founder of Res Capital, which is an alternative investment manager focusing on U.S. life insurance policies. Their fund, Res Life Investments, celebrates its 10th anniversary in 2021. Congratulations and welcome, Jonas.
1: Thank you so much, Amanda. Really great to be here.
0: Happy to have you. Um, really excited to have this conversation about your firm and around life settlements. So let's get started. Um, so tell us about your, your career journey.
1: Uh, well, I've, I've been working quite a lot abroad. I'm originally from uh, Sweden, uh, but uh, pretty much straight after university. Uh, where I started business, I started working in Switzerland. Uh, In Switzerland, I worked with uh, electronic options exchanges, um, learned a lot about um, the market and derivatives, and uh, worked in Zurich in Switzerland for one year. Uh, After that, together with the Swiss company where I was working, uh, I founded a fund management company in Luxembourg. Uh, The aim was really to utilize our know-how in options trading and derivatives to offer equity and bond funds, uh, using uh, options to uh, produce slightly higher returns, like covered call strategy. Um, So together with a few other uh, founders, uh, we uh, lived in Brussels, uh, but the fund was actually based in Luxembourg. Uh, Didn't really take off, um, but uh, I got very keen to um, try again. So uh, eventually um, we decided to close down the fund. And I moved to London where I started working with Schroeders, uh, one of the largest fund managers in the UK. Um, together with my wife and, and children, we lived in London for about 10 years. And I worked at some of the major investment banks such as Merrill Lynch and Bear Stearns. <laughs> no one exists any longer, or Merrill Lynch being now Bank of America. Um, had a really interesting 10 years in London but then eventually moved back to Sweden to set up REST Capital. And uh, we're now celebrating our 10th anniversary. The fund has been up and running for 10 years. So it feels uh, quite fantastic that we've succeeded this time.
0: That's fantastic. Um, So describe that pivotal point in in time where you decided to go off on your own and where you saw this opportunity um, in the market um, and 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 definitely touch on that unique structure that you guys have.
1: Yeah, I think um, when I was working uh, at Merrill Lynch in London, I uh, came across life settlements as an asset class. Um, this is um, you know before the financial crisis, so in you know early 2000, um, the asset class was then quite unknown, uh, not very mature. Um, Merrill Lynch never got involved, but quite a few other investment banks did get involved in life settlements, uh, such as Credit Suisse, Deutsche Bank, Goldman Sachs, et cetera. But the financial crisis of 2008 really changed that because banks were pretty much uh, ordered by the regulator to clean up their balance sheet, to dispose of non-core assets. So the life settlements market at that time uh, shrank in size. And I would say the most investment banks got out of this asset class. Uh, and this is pretty much the time when I decided that maybe now is actually a good time to try to launch a life settlements fund. Um, the, um, the market is pretty much split in two different segments uh, since 2008. You have the very large players such as Apollo, Blackstone, etc., And then you have the smaller niche players which are pretty much buying single policies. So, and the larger players tend to buy portfolios in the tertiary market, as we call it, while the smaller niche players, such as Rest Capital, we buy single policies in the secondary market. So that's pretty much what happened since the financial crisis.
0: It's so interesting. And what happens? I mean, what's the evolution been since um, since kind of two thousand eight till now in the last kind of last decade?
1: I think the um, the interesting thing is that the market has become more well known in the US. We now have endowments, uh, pension funds investing uh, with these larger US-based firms such as Apollo, etc. Um, so the asset class is much more well-known and accepted among institutional investors in the US. Uh, that's not really the case yet in Europe. It's it's kind of happening a little bit more slower here. Um, and I think this is, you know, the, the around this time that I thought, okay, if this works in the U.S. and the asset class is really taking off in the U.S. and even more so these days, then it should be work. It should be able to work in Europe also for European investors. Uh, and this is kind of around, you know, 2010, 2012 uh, that we started to look at this asset class. So I think this is really the point in time where uh, where I decided this. This should work for European investors as well. And um, that has been the case we're very happy that we have among our investors uh, investors such as the volvo pension fund for example
0: so um i think this is a really um interesting asset class like how do you i always think about you know our funds and um clients being investors so how do you help your investors
1: it's really a unique asset class um it's for us it's very much an alternative to fixed income if we can produce like seven to 8% net in US dollars with about 4% volatility, then that's really interesting uh, risk adjusted returns. But, but also I think uh, the risk profile is very interesting. Uh, we buy US life insurance policies, we pay premiums, and pretty much nothing happens until a policy pays out. So the return profile is very much flat until a policy pays out, and then you have an increase in the net asset value. And this is, of course, opposite to, for example, cat bonds. Uh, It's also gonna be quite counter-cyclical to investors that own equities, bonds, uh, real estate. So I think the fact that life segments, which is linked to mortality, really offers a risk diversification and a return profile, which is not linked to the general economy. Uh, we saw that in March uh, when COVID-19 hit, everyone started to <laughs> run away last year, uh, equity markets collapsed. But I mean, our returns, nothing happened. It was pretty flat. Um, so I think that's the interesting, that's what we deliver to our investors because most of our investors, they already own equities, bonds, real estate, et cetera. And a lot of them own hedge funds, which unfortunately sometimes don't deliver uncorrelated returns either.
0: So since starting your firm, how have you developed or pivoted your thesis or business and why? Uh,
1: We've tried to become more international in our client base. Um, We realized quite early on that our uh, Scandinavian investors, who are mainly pension funds and family offices, uh, they obviously have wished to receive their return in the local currency, Swedish krona or euros, uh, depending on where they're based. Um, so we decided to try to target investors who are also looking for returns in US dollars, where the currency hedge is not kind of a big issue. Uh, so we took a decision to start traveling in, in mainly to Switzerland, Singapore, bit the UK, limited amount in the US where we have some of our largest competitors. So we tend to focus more on Europe and the Far East. And that has been very successful for us because um, we suddenly have a large number of investors from Singapore, as an example, and many of them are US dollars based It's part of their kind of asset mix, uh, currency mix. Uh, So we find that that's been been a a good decision that we took a few years back.
0: Um, I always think about our fund managers as entrepreneurs. So, um, you know, we always talk about like, what did you get wrong and what did we learn? But I, I personally wanna ask, what did you get right?
1: Uh, I think what we did right is I was really able to recruit very competent colleagues, experienced colleagues. Um, I mean, as an example, our CEO came from one of the largest public pension funds in Sweden, AP3. So he has been on the buy side for 25, 30 years and has fantastic experience in asset allocation, knows a lot about alternative investments, uh, set up this pension funds, uh, you know, ILS team. Um, so he knows pretty much everything there is to know about asset allocation. Our fund manager, as another example, he's been involved since we launched the fund. Very quantitative, uh, which are not. Uh, so we complement each other very well within the team. We're only seven employees and soon eight. But I think what's been very important for me as the founder of the company has been to recruit very competent experienced people that complement my own profile. And, and I've been very fortunate in, in having these colleagues on board since many years now.
0: So going, going um, back to you, um, this is a good segue. Um, I, I love this question. So what do you think is your superpower?
1: Yeah, I, 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 I like the question. <laughs> and I think that I would probably say that my superpower is that I'm really stubborn, uh, which perhaps is not the obvious superpower. But if you're an entrepreneur, it's quite important to never give up, um, and you cannot, you end up thinking, oh, this is going to take probably you know twice as long as I thought it would take. It's going to cost you know hundred percent more uh, in in terms of the money that I need to spend. You, you most entrepreneurs realize that you need to raise capital, additional capital from perhaps what you initially thought. So I think. Uh, my superpower perhaps is is being stubborn and never wanting to give up and i think that probably is true for for many other entrepreneurs as well the other superpower i think that many entrepreneurs have is that you have to be good at understanding and listen to people and it's not only being able to raise capital to uh, to found your own firm it's also being able of course to to um, you know listen to investors uh, to understand what are their needs uh, and and lucky for us we have very long-term investors who generally tend to invest with us for you know ten years or longer uh, and we have very few redemptions uh, now that we are celebrating our tenth anniversary so so I think that's that's also perhaps uh, maybe not a superpower at least but something which is good to to have
0: thank you so much Janice um, We will um, drop Jonas's contact information into this podcast. Thank you for your time. It's such an interesting asset class um, and definitely worth pursuing.
1: Thank you so much, Amanda. I really appreciate speaking to you. And thank you so much.